Welcome to the Soccer Doctors Podcast with Dr. Andy Harper and Dr. Craig Duncan. Three. G'day, everyone. Welcome to our umpteenth version of <laughs> Soccer Doctors. Incredible that we've lasted this long. Probably even more incredible if uh, we've still got people with us. I'd be fascinated to know if anyone's logged in from episode one through to whatever this is now. Um, and of course, as we've been advertising, but not really indulging yet, please feel free to get in contact with us on Soccer Doctors. If there's matters of soccer or sport, or let's face it, anything that you want to get off your chest or chat about, um, we're very happy to be the receptacles of that interest. And we can't guarantee any cogence, any sense in reply, but we can we can guarantee volume. Um, that's what we specialise in. We've got a really special guest today, Dr. Craig. G'day, how are you? I'm really well, Harps. How are you? I can see because we do have a very, very special guest and that you respect highly and, and I do as well, of course, that you've your beard looks better and you look better than the really? last episode. <laughs> I mean, what you were wearing the last episode has, um, yeah, I mean, people have to see that to believe it, but uh, well, go like, to YouTube watch... and see that. But yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, but um, yeah, your beard looks great. And uh, well, I'm, I'm excited about this uh, episode. Mm. Well, don't get used to it. Like this beard is a winter growth, lockdown, off-season slash in-between jobs beard. Um, and so it's not going to last. Well, hopefully it's not going to last. Hopefully it won't be between jobs um, particularly <laughs> long. But in the meantime, anyway, I'm, I'm sort of, I'm trying, I'm just teasing people here because like any grand theatre, the, the bigger the entrance the more tantalising the entrance, the bigger the impact. And um, people don't know whom we're going to have chatting with us, but he's one of the world's treasures. Indeed, and I'm not making this up, I have been accused of hyperbole before, but, but the professor who's going to join us from the University of Michigan, Andy Markovitz, become a very dear friend of mine in a very short space of time, he is a global treasure. You know, he has received the highest civilian honour from the Federal Republic of Germany that, that's available to anyone. And so I'm not making this up. We have got a living treasure on Soccer Doctors podcast here today. It's Professor Andy Markovitz from the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor. And without any further ado, drum rolls, please. Flashing lights, not fireworks, flashing lights. Andy Markovitz, it's great to see you, mate. Welcome. Oh, it's just, uh, it's great. I mean, uh, um, my friendship with you is very, I mean, it's very special. The minute we, uh, the minute I responded to your email, um, which came out of nowhere uh, from, you know, it was just uh, meant to be. And uh, I remember when uh, you came to Ann Arbor for the first time and we had you over to the house and then um, we just spent two amazing weeks with you and your family. And you gave a guest lecture in my class, which the class loved. Um, and so on and on. I mean, uh, and then, uh, you know, you wrote a great dissertation. And the very fact that you indulged in, um, you know, the, the punishment of, 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 of submitting yourself to a PhD thesis, um, which is always a form of, of control and a form of, um, it's part of it. I mean, this is kind of a 
some sad, you know, some you know, sadism, masochism in it, and that you did this, um, and you did it completely um, for the sake of knowledge and the sake of your own interest, um, and wrote a great thesis. Um, you know, um, is 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 very very special. So. Um, and then, you know, all our, your knowledge of sports and, and, and all of sports, I mean, um, you know, uh, is, 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 is encyclopedic and interesting. So it's my real pleasure. And as I said to you and your, the other doctor, your colleague, Dr. Craig, um, I um, really, really hope that in 2023, I will be uh, traveling to Australia for the second time, actually. I went to Australia before I knew you, Andy, and had a wonderful time in Sydney and Newcastle, um, and also in Melbourne, where, of course, I made the major pilgrimage to the Melbourne Cricket Club, Melbourne mm. Cricket Ground, which is a holy, holy of holies. And, in fact, the, the guide, I took this, um, uh, um, said something like that, uh, you know, it was... Um, uh, it's the, how big the MCG is. And then he said, um, it's the fourth or the fifth largest. And there is one in, 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 in this town called Ann Arbor, Michigan, which is slightly <laughs> larger. And I said, yes. And we became kind of fast friends. And then when I went to see the, the, the game that evening between Essendon and uh, who? Uh, Carlton, I think. Um, yeah. Uh, so I mean, I had some mediocre seats, and then suddenly this guy comes and and he says, "You," and I walked through and he said, uh, "Come with me." And I got this these beautiful seats on the the equivalent of the fifty yard line, which is not the fifty yard line, but um, and thanks to the the guide who became a sort of a friend for that evening, uh, as it were. So Australia and sports and. Um, um, you know, just recently, I, I, I read not too, not too long ago the great uh, 1956 swimmer uh, of a Hungarian Hungarian origin. What, what was his uh, uh, Australian? No, no, you know him. Uh, oh, Conrad. Conrad, exactly. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, Carl Conrad just died, and I remembered it. I mean, I remember remembered with 56, and you know, much older than the two of you, so. Um, Australian, of course, Don Frazier was constantly showed on television this Olympics, the past Olympics, because they always showed this actually was a very nice touch of the Olympics, I thought. Uh, at least here, what they did is they always showed the relatives back home rooting the athletes. And so they constantly showed an Australian group, I don't know, in Sydney or Melbourne, whatever who were cheering for the Australian swimmers. And there was Dawn Fraser actually in the midst of, you know, she, she must be in her eighties now, right? Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. So um, that was a one, I thought that was very nice. I, I, mm. I'm not sure whether, but NBC did that very nicely. So you always saw the, the uh, you know, the girlfriends or the family mm. and, and, you know, this was lovely. And they, in fact, it's interesting. It, Australia was the only foreign, Foreign, uh, 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 foreign fan club, whom they constantly showed, and only in swimming. Very interesting. Mm. Uh, that is interesting. The others were only American. I mean, not with so and so's father, so and so's mother, so and so's girlfriend. All of them, the hurdler, whatever. But the only non-American um, that I can recall 
was uh, the Australian swimmers, and they showed them repeatedly. Oh. Um, Interesting. So that um, we're already off on a tangent, but that um, Australia America swimming thing is a thing, and the Australia America Olympics thing is the thing, which we'll digest a little bit further. I, I, I should. It's remiss of me not to give a little bit of a backstory because. Um, whilst I've got no doubt that there's at least two of our seven regular listeners who do come from overseas, the bulk, that's five-sevenths of our audience base, is domiciled in Australia. And I wonder, who the heck is Andy Markovitz, professor at the University of Michigan and winner of Germany's highest civilian honour? Um, but, but what's he doing on our airwaves and what's he got to do with these people? And so I really need in 30 seconds to the backstory because this 30 seconds I've actually never asked him directly how he responded to the very first communication we had and that very first communication was from me a PhD student sent on speculation completely on speculation to a, a guy whose work I'd read doing literature reviews etc you know, I'll do, for the sake of it, Andy's book on offside, um, American exceptionalism and its treatment, its relationship with soccer, uh, gaming the world, um, sportista. This is just a couple of them, um, the American women and European women in football. I've read all this guy's stuff. And so 2016 because you're sort of half expected to do this, Craig, you know, you've got to get yourself out and, and mingle with the international academic community. So I thought, well, I love America. Here's a chance maybe for me to get to America. I'll see if this guy is actually doing anything in the in the American summer that I can go to a conference. Or so I went onto the University of Michigan website, Craig, I got his email, generic email, and I sent him a three line emails saying, I'm me. You're you. Are you doing anything formally this summer, your time, uh, to which I can come? You send an email like that. That's literally as bland as it was. Do you know what? There was a response from Professor Andy Markovitz, which said, as it happens, I'm not doing anything, but why don't you come to Ann Arbor and we can meet and chat? Can you believe it? That is fantastic. Didn't know me from Adam. So not only did he get me, but he got my wife and son, son as well. And so, and, and so we get there, we get there as part of a trip around North America, which was wonderful. Um, and not only has he agreed to have a cup of tea with us of an afternoon, and he's organised his couple of his grad students to do tours with us around various places, university, museum, etc. He's dedicated his own time to showing us around the campus, the university hospital. I mean, these facilities just blow your mind. He organises a visit to the big house. So there's my wife and my son and I in the middle of this 110,000-seat amphitheatre, one of the most famous, all completely on spec. Mm. He didn't know me from Adam, but rolls out the red carpet. That's why it's taken longer than 30 seconds. It's probably due even more than that. That's how come we're here now, because that was the start of it. The guy's incredible. Like, have you ever done that, Craig? You get lots of, <laughs> I know you get lots of emails from, from, um, from sports parents, uh, academic institutions, sporting clubs, national associations. Craig, come and help us on spec. Yeah. How many have, to, 
have those of you responded to in the way that Andy Markovitz responded to my three-line email? <laughs> Are you going to be teaching anyway? Well, actually, it's really interesting because I, I, I do always respond. I think it's always important to, to respond to those, to those emails, but to take it to that level. So do I. But do you invite them to your house? No, that's exactly right. And actually, last night, I felt terribly guilty because I had a student write from the Middle East and said, Dr. Duncan, I'd love to do some research with you. Do you have anything going? And as I typed back saying, I'm really sorry, I have nothing now at the moment, I thought, how terrible of me just to write that after knowing what had happened between you and Professor Andy. And so I did write a little bit more, but still I had nothing to say to come to Australia, even though you can't come to Australia at the moment because our borders are still closed. (laughs) Yeah, well, you you should have been smarter than that. You should have, you could have looked like the most magnanimous person in the world said, yeah, come. And kick that can down down the road. (laughs) Anyway, look, that's the backstory. Um, It's another, it's another great welcome to you, Andy. So, uh, you're 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 a fantastic person from from my experience and thoroughly stimulating. I mean, I've not really delved into the majority of your academic work, Andy, because it's on politics and and specifically German studies and politics and blah blah blah. But it's your sports stuff which got me in, and I love your appetite for sports. So let's get into it. What, what did you make of the Olympic Games? COVID as they were, COVID affected as they were. Look, uh, I'm. I'm not a cynic, meaning I love stuff. And I, I, I loved it. I mean, uh, when else do I, can you watch badminton? Uh, you know, when do you watch, I mean, like riveted to, to, the, to, to, to table tennis, the doubles. I mean, you know, it's insane. I mean, fascinating to watch this. Uh, I love the track and field. Um, you know, I, it was fascinating for me to watch, and I love to do research on this, on this ever, ever uh, sort of important question to me, why the American men cannot exchange the baton. This is a fascinating <laughs> question. Six Olympic, I mean, they're the best runners, I mean, other than for, to, you, under Usain Bolt, it was the Jamaicans, but, you know, constantly, and they completely, and sure enough, this time too, they screwed it up. I mean, this, there must be a reason for this, some structural reason, which I'd love to do some serious research on. Apparently, they don't practice like the other teams do because they interchange themselves, have something to do with the colleges. I have no idea. But this is a, so I watch, uh, I mean, to watch those two 400-meter hurdle finals, the men's and the women's, was amazing. Um, you know, where the, the men actually all three beat the world record and the, the Norwegian guy beats the American and the, the Brazilian. Uh, and then the, the two American women who apparently are uh, very good friends, but also major rivals. And, and one of them is 10 years older. Muhammad is 10 years older than the other one. Lachlan, I think you say, I don't even know their names. I mean, see, that, that's what I love about this because it's for the for, for, quadrennially it's an exit for me from my usual you know uh epl uh soccer and the big four i mean i just uh, you know i can tell you various statistics for all kinds of lions who play for the detroit lions but i don't know these guys i mean i just don't follow the sport and so to me it was uh, it's just one and, and 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 the first week of swimming is just magical 
I mean, it, these amazing contests, especially between the Aussies and the United States, uh, you know, the 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 uh, the, uh, the medleys. Um, um, it's it's great. So uh, I I I know that it was um, it was all a, a problem because of course it was really held in a more or less in a vacuum. So it was like almost like a bubble, NBA style bubble that the it had nothing to do with Tokyo in some ways. It was sort of could have been anywhere. The citizens of Tokyo were not part of this. Um, but look, the Olympics have been for the longest time already a television occurrence. I mean. So to me, it was um, my first Olympics that I watched was in 1960 uh, in Rome. Um, I watched that in Vienna when I was there, you know, 11 year old kid watching it with my father in a cafe. I still remember, you know, Armin Hari and, and, and uh, who actually was the first German to win it. Uh, and all the Austrians were actually rooting against him, but it's an interesting story. Um, so I watched every Olympics, 1960, 64, 68. I've been to three, uh, 76, which actually came up in your last uh, last podcast. Mm. Uh, the 76 Olympics came up uh, um, and I thought, to me, ah, I was there. Um, so 76 in Montreal for the Nadia Comaneci Olympics. Mm. Um, and uh, Bruce Jenner Olympics. Uh, now better known for other things, but uh, <laughs> Jenner, um, the, the East German metal making machine Olympics. Uh, then I was in 84 in LA uh, and in 1996 in Atlanta. Uh, so those are the Olympics that I've been to. Uh, but it's still, of course, way outdone by World Cups. World Cups, there's six, so seven actually. So World Cups are you know, bigger than the Olympics, but that's, uh, but that's a different love. I mean, it's, it's, it's here, it's the love of the, of the unknown, of the little kid, you know, watching these amazing, oh, another thing that I absolutely adored uh, was skateboarding. I mean, fascinating to watch these 13, 14 year old kids. I love just like snowboarding and skateboarding, they created their whole own milieu. And what is so interesting is that they all love each other. They, you know, they console. I forget the Brazilian guy lost in the last by the last and was beaten by I think an Australian or whatever. And uh, and 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 they just all hug each other and they and they and they listen to their music. I mean, one guy actually when it was his start, he actually turns on his iPhone and goes <laughs> down. I mean, this is what, what is this? And none of them wear their country's uniform. I mean, they just basically are hanging out. And, and with each other. And it's, so it's just like a completely stretch. I mean, me, it's completely unknown world, a little bit like a, the snowboarding of which again, I know nothing. Um, and you think so that, that, um, that to me is the Olympics. Do, do you um, think there's, there's two, two questions we'll fire off on here. Firstly, do you think your view on the Olympics is a common one? It, it resonates with me. Most people I talk to um, share the same view on the Olympics that once every four years you, you get into archery. I mean, who, who gives a, a, a flying fig about archery for the other three years and 350 days? But for two weeks, all of a sudden, the clay pistol shooter takes national prominence. Yeah. So can the Olympics survive because of that interest in these otherwise peripheral sports whilst shedding some of the sports, we get a massive diet on anyway. I mean, golf, tennis, 
football, which is historically an Olympic sport, but does it really need the Olympics, etc.? I'd be interested in your view on that. And then secondly, yeah. as Americans and Australians, we get right into the Olympics. How truly global is the Olympic Games, though? We have teams from all over the world, but, but the viewership, the, the level of investment that communities put into the Games, it's massive in Australia. There's no question of that. We, we love it. And we have to assume that as one of the major benefactors of, um, of the Olympic Games, America loves it too. It drives a lot of the commerce, the television money, et cetera, et cetera. The scheduling of the women's football yes. final is one example. You know, yes, everyone yes. thought the women were going to make the women's gold medal match in football. And so it was scheduled for 11 o'clock in the morning in Tokyo to get into America at prime, prime time. time. Yeah. So, sure. so, I mean, we, we've talked, but, but who outside of Australia and America cares as much about the Olympics as us, would you say? Oh, oh well, I, I don't know about Africa or whatever, but I can assure you that the world that I know, at least as well as, 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 the, or, uh, as the United States and Canada and Australia, I know by osmosis, but not really, is, is of course Europe, and it's huge. I mean, it's absolutely massive. Um, Good to hear. I mean, massive, absolute. And what is so interesting and what you're is how nationalized it all was and all is. Um, and so we care about archery because it's all about Jerry Seinfeld. Ultimately, it's all about laundry. I mean, his brilliant definition about sports. Sports is about laundry. We only worry about, you know, what it says in the front. So it says USA or whatever. We just root for them. So it's, it's all it's a, so the Olympics is a complete laundry event. So we're rooting for them. As opposed guys. to money laundering event. Exactly. Which, which is also, but that's a different, that's a different question. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so um we root for the clay pistol guy or or the, the the archery or all this because it we ultimately want uh the u.s guy or the canadian to win and i never forget the 19 uh i think it was either the lillehammer olympics it was a winter olympics because i was on a book tour either lillehammer or albertville and i remember i was actually um uh on tour and i i went to germany france italy and austria and literally every one of them had their own Olympics. And occasionally I was watching the CBC, which you get very easily here in Detroit. And they had a completely different Olympics from the American Olympics. It was all about the Canadians and Canadian this and Canadian that. And it's all, you know, completely. And it's also a form of, I mean, not even bad nationalism. It is sometimes bad nationalism, but it's a form of, you know, it's ultimately particularism. Like for example, the other day, this past Sunday, the Ann Arbor News just published all the Michigan contestants in the Olympics. The University of Michigan contestants and then the state of Michigan contestants. And so, you know, kind of this localism, I guess uh, people care about the fencer who, if, if he's American or if he's Australian. So that is just a very, and it's huge in Western Europe, no question about that. Um, uh, but ultimately, of course, it is driven in terms of money, obviously, by NBC. And they, I think, um, you know, it was, uh, and there, by the way, of course, the problem with the Olympics on the, on the main NBC channel is that it has to be very kind of humanized, meaning that you immediately go into some kind of a personal story. And that, in fact, on the main channel, you do not see archery. 
Now, NBC mm -hmm. showed everything, but that you had to go on the streaming service, Peacock, and there you saw everything. Or you know, on USA Network or whatever, which were part of these NBC. But the big NBC thing only showed swimming, go everything, track and field, gymnastics, and especially women's gymnastics, and diving. Those are the, diving is big, huge. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's why the guy who knits, uh, the British guy who was who knitted a sweater or whatever, is like a make, big hero. And and so actually, I thought that they were kind of shy away from showing the Chinese, but they absolutely did. Um, and those are the big things. Uh, and let's be also very clear: this is also a reason that it's actually quite feminized, uh, meaning that women watched Olympics as much in the United States as men. So their stories and. So typically when it comes to so-and-so, uh, I remember there was a great, great, uh, I will never forget a film uh, on Grant Hackett. Remember him? Yes. Grant Hackett, the great, the great yes. 1500 meter guy. Um, and there was this amazing film on him. So just before the 1500 meter, whatever he wanted, um, was it in Sydney, I think? Or maybe even- uh, He did win in Sydney. Yes, he did he, win in Sydney. Yeah. Okay, so I think, and, and the same with Ian Thorpe. What happens is that they, before the event, they had this program on him and they showed him how, where he grew up and what he did, and, well, you know, how, uh, uh, you know, he, I remember, I think there was some conflict with his father or something. So this is a very, a very interesting sort of human interest thing, which is, uh, in, in, in some ways more salient to not, not the core fan, which in this case often is male, um, but to your general um, you know, viewership. And that's mm. fine. So I actually, mm. I love the Olympics. Um, mm. I can't wait for the, for the Winter Olympics to start in a couple of months. It's already in, in, you know, in, yeah. um, in, 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 in February, um, mm. you know, in, 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 in Beijing, which will be the first city to actually host both the summer mm. and the Winter Olympics. I've been to a couple of Winter Olympics, actually, I forgot that. Innsbruck um, and uh, Lake Placid. Oh, where Lake, Lake, Lake Placid. Placid 1980, uh, uh -oh. where um, I saw Eric Haydn win two of his five gold medals. He won actually wow. everything in the speed skating. And um, the 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 four Bob um, uh, and and some great stuff. It was some great the, yeah. the ice hockey was famous in Lake Placid when the the, when the US, US beat the, beat the, yeah, the Soviets. Miracle on ice. The yes. Miracle on ice. Yeah. Oh, uh, that completely catapulted hockey into the Big Four. Yeah. It was wow. until then until then it was basically a Canadian sport with a number of key key American sort of ingredients of the four big cities, obviously the, so the, of the four NHL cities of Boston, Chicago, New York, and Detroit. And, um, you know, with the um, expansion of the league in 67, uh, which is the 50th anniversary of the NHL actually goes national, but it was still sort of on shaky grounds in LA or in whatever, that event mm -hmm. catapults hockey into a national and i did a little research even in the vancouver olympics if you look at the u.s and the canadian team uh literally they all are all the players are within 150 mile distance from each other now of course 85 percent of the canadian population lives 100 miles away from the u.s border but they basically are on the american players are all from michigan minnesota 
Wisconsin, maybe one or two upstate New York. Completely changed, gentlemen. This mm. is fascinating. Now the U.S. you know, California, <laughs> Texas, Arizona. I mean, they're, it's amazing. So it really has gone national. And that started with the miracle on ice. It was a great story. Um, the the coach was was yes, uh, yes. Uh, Herb, Bro Herb Brooks, I think. Herb Brooks, yeah. Yeah, and uh, it's a wonderful movie, actually. They so, made. I agree with you. Yeah, I agree with you. Wonderful movie, uh, very nice uh, movie, uh, which apparently kind of uh, does a good job of showing this. And what Herb Brooks does so brilliantly, he gets these two completely, which is comes to the topic that I know. Um, uh, Andy knows so well, and, and so it's fascinating about American college sports. There was this huge cleavage between the Boston, the Boston-based players yes. from yes. BU and BC versus the Minnesota, Michigan, Wisconsin players. Yeah, and who really and he apparently forged a team of, of from these college players who performed the miracle on ice. Mm. Uh, Gets to one of my sweet spots in sport. And that is, you know, we try and we talk about this a lot. Well, people probably get bored of it, but it's the epicenter of so much of the sporting movements is the college movement. The global sporting movements is the college, the college sporting movement in the United States. And, you know, it's really easy to skim over the top of it and say, oh, college sport, this and that. But the more you think about it, the more you, ca you can't escape from the fact of the influence this institution has on global sport and even Andy in soccer the most global sport principally through the feminine half of the population yeah, but, yeah, but nevertheless yeah. right nevertheless and it's my sweet spot because the more people can understand more people can understand the impact of, of NCAA on global sport the more likelihood is that they can actually get to the DNA of college sport and re and refine, relink education and athleticism as a cornerstone for bearing fruitful existence. The way I look at things. So, University of Michigan, where I'm a I'm I'm a, I'm a distant contact but uh, admirer of the place, nevertheless. And Andy's written about this in general. So there are two Michigan, one current Michigan player and one Michigan alumni on the Canada women's gold medal team. Uh, Andy's written that in 2008, if Stanford University, Craig, was a country, it would have finished fourth or eighth. Forget which, it's significant. Eighth. Eighth. Yeah, no, no, sorry. absolutely. I want someone, if they're not already doing it, Andy, to go through the entire Olympic athlete candidature and find the percentage of people who are either at or have gone through the college system. We watched the women's beach volleyball yes. semi-final, as it was. Our, our girls made it to the final and did brilliantly. They beat a Latvian pair. I mean, what beaches there are in Latvia which are worth wearing bikinis on and playing volleyball <laughs> is, a, is another sociocultural <laughs> point of reason. But the fact of the matter is one, if not both, were USC students. University of Southern California. The point is, and some of my most cherished memories already were going around the sporting precincts of, of the University of Michigan with Andy, visiting whatever sport. It's like having an Olympic Games, seriously. Yes. It's like having an Olympic village every day of every year. 
Mm. And no one does it like the Americans, quite literally. And we did this together. And, and, and maybe Andy, I might say modestly, maybe Andrew was sort of shaken from his, uh, what, what's, what's the word I'm looking for? Shaken from the, the advantage that he just assumed without realising that I'm living the Olympics every day of my life. Tuesday, I can go and watch really good volleyballers play. Wednesday, I can go and watch fantastic tennis players who are likely going to be on the Grand Slam circuit when they graduate. I can go and watch baseball, soccer, field hockey, basketball, American football, lacrosse, swing, bloody everything. Every damn thing apart from play pistol shooting and archery. And let's face it, that's probably more popular once every four years than every day of your life. This is at the epicentre of global sport. It really is. These people, Australians, Kiwis, Europeans, are going to the college system, forging that wonderful union of athleticism and education. How and many then, of the... I'm sorry. Now finish. That's it. How many of the Australian swimmers, did they also belong to colleges? I, there would be a few. There would be a few, but we have a really strong swimming culture here. Yes. And so that yes. there's not such the perceived need, uh, if you're going to be a swimmer, to travel and, and get expert what, what coaching. But talking? for the student athletes there, and there would yeah. be some, but un unfortunately, you know, we're not, you know, I think there's a lot, there are a lot of Australian athletes, rowers, etc., um, who, who are in American colleges, Ivy, Ivy League colleges in the rowing case, um, doing their thing. The, the, the point is, you skip over American college sport, but actually as a sports fan, you cannot afford to. Right. right. If you're serious about your sport, you actually have to pump the brakes, hit reverse, and dive into this thing to understand why after 120 odd years of college sport is it is it still so important to the global sports movement it, it's yeah. it's a fascinating thing and as we speak it's literally undergoing a sea change which will completely alter what the ncaa is uh, and in fact, in some ways, I think it will be its death knell in, in terms of the institution, not college sports, but with the introduction of name, um, uh, identity and, um, uh, and name image and, 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 and likeness, meaning that there is now for the first time the permission of being professional or getting money this has completely shattered the amateurism and the bizarre nature of amateurism in, in, the, in the NCAA, and which in turn has led to a reshifting, which I'm sure you're following, and the reorganizing of the big, of, of the big uh, conferences, all driven, by the way, of course, the, 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 the behemoth of college sports, namely American football. Um, which uh, will have massive, massive effect. I mean, massive. Uh, so what, what, why, Andy, why, well, not the why, firstly, your view. Uh, I, I, I sh was very fortunate to share a three-way lunch between you and, again, Andy organised um, the athletic director of the University of Michigan, Ward Manuel, to a three-person lunch. I mean, this blow-in from the South Pacific is <laughs> sitting at the table with a guy who runs a 300 million US dollar sports budget. And get that number right. 
$300 million annual budget to run a sports program. I mean, that would that just blows anything in Australia to smithereens. That's one university. The arms race at the big universities in America is incredible. So, and Andy and Ward were, uh, and I was, I, sh I should have been rolling a video of this because they were at, at not at loggerheads because it was very convivial, but had opposite views on this move away from amateurism. Yes. This move for athletes to be able to commercialise their name if there was a market for it, Andy's prosecuted case, which has now come to pass, um, versus the athletic director of the University of Michigan, who was very wary of this yes. development. Yes, yes, yes. I mean, uh, it's we literally are in uh, terra incognita because it's just starting. Um, the wariness, of course, is on his part. I mean, my part is very simple. Um, that, um, you know, if you, if I can, um, uh, you know, if I, uh, because of COVID, um, Kiki had a special birthday and we couldn't, I couldn't take her anywhere. We couldn't do, do anything. So actually I hired a couple of Michigan music students to come to our yard. It was Kiki's born in the winter and for us to, for them to play some great jazz, uh, in outdoors. It was wonderful. And I pay these guys. I mean, it's perfectly fine. It'll be a tuba guy, a, a clarinet, whatever. Not an issue. Okay, you can't do this. Uh, you couldn't do this with an athlete. I never, ever, ever forget the following situation when I had. It was on a Friday. I remember this, and I had lunch in uh, one of my favorite hangouts, the Red Hawk. I think I took Andy there too. And um, with one of the Michigan's most uh, notable punters, uh, and he was actually a, 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 a guy who was born in the same town in Romania as I was. And we became kind of friends through that. And it's, um, we went, uh, went to lunch and he had a burger and a Diet Coke. And at the end of the lunch, of course, I'm, of course I take that. And I will never forget his face. His face, it wasn't like, you know, some other, oh, Professor Markovitz, thank you, that's very kind. Whatever. His face turned ashen. He literally, he transgressed. And I look at him and I go, oh my God, impermissible benefit. He was drilled into his head that he is not to take anything from anybody. And I thought to myself, this is sick. This guy will now, I cannot get a Coke and a diet, a diet Coke and a burger, 15 bucks, whatever. And he is a part of a team that in, in 24 hours, it was on a Friday, on Saturday, I remember it was a, ga a game against Iowa. He will be performing in front of 110,000 people, televised by ABC Sport. Uh, I mean, it's a multi-million, billion dollar complex and where he, everybody gets money. The coach, the, 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 everybody gets in. And, and the only ones who can get nothing are the ones who produce the value. This is not mm. good. This is mm. just, there's something wrong with it. And clearly, of course, it led to all kinds of corruption. So uh, sometimes it wasn't just, uh, you know, uh, a burger and a Coke, but clearly Ferraris and all kinds of other things to get precisely because of what Andy said, the, 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 the war between uh, among all these colleges to get the best players. And um, so this amateurism, which was of course invented by the British upper class in the 19th century to keep out the riffraff, re really, 
uh, and then they sort of couched it in some Greek uh, mythology, the Greeks who actually weren't uh, amateurs. But this whole amateurism is a fascinating way of, of excluding people. And uh, by the way, I, I'm, I will kind of redid re, um, the first few introductory lectures to my sports class. And it's all about sort of the enhancement of democracy. And um, when you think about it, the minute these wild games become sports, they almost immediately become exclusive of someone. They're excluding someone. Okay, so you exclude, uh, you know, the, the, the working class, you exclude women, you exclude the, whatever it is, it's some form of exclusion. And um, uh, so amateurism was taken up by American uh, colleges by virtue of their copying of uh, uh, Oxford and Cambridge. And uh, where amateurism actually really never, never is reality because already uh, uh, by the 1859 regatta between Harvard and Yale, already there is some payment under the table. Mm -hmm. uh, meaning that amateurism in the <clears throat> United States does not, cannot be sustained because they're not two universities like they were in Britain uh, or in England, certainly. I mean, later on, there's some more, more one, but really it's Oxford and Cambridge that, and whereas in, in, in the United States, they are from the get-go nine and more. And so very quickly there becomes, an, there, it enters into a comp competition. So Yale wants to beat Harvard, Harvard wants to beat Penn. And this leads to the valorization of sport because the sport is clearly understood by everybody. And, it's, and that's what makes us great. No one understands you know, physics or um, so. Um, uh, and that leads to this interesting notion of American college sports being unique in the world, namely massively important, but yet under this guise of amateurism. And there's this importance, this, uh, uh, and, and it really just didn't work anymore. And ultimately it breaks down by virtue of the new media. It breaks down by uh, the suit of, of a um, of video games. Okay, it really starts with, you know, this guy O'Bannon, who was a UCLA um, uh, basketball player, who basically didn't want, who actually sued because there were video games with his image. Okay, and he, everybody made money. It's like you're not FIFA, the video game, except you know where you play Messi or whatever, and he sued, and this created a, a whole, it started unraveling to the point where now the Supreme Court rightly said that, um, you know, it's, it's completely uh, un-American, which is the worst thing that you can say. Um, you know, it's un-American because, uh, uh, you know, it's all about fair competition. And so what happened is that now that you actually can um, valorize your name, your image and your likeness now, here comes the part we don't know. It's too early. We should have a, a, a podcast in two years from now, earlier, but also that to you about this topic. <laughs> what will happen now that already the Alabama quarterback, who hasn't even started to play yet, Mac Jones. already has, has uh, uh, endorsements well over a million bucks? And the new Ohio State guy, who just who is up from Texas and decided not to even forego his senior year in high school because he wants to be paid now. And high schools in Texas don't allow that. And being an Ohio State quarterback, he can do this. 
I don't know how many hundreds of thousands already he has now. Um, the question is, what will that do to the teams? We don't know. Will they be? Will there be jealousies? Will they be envy? What will happen to solidarity? I mean, unclear. Uh, I think um, it's very clear to me that only the big quarterbacks and the football and men's basketball stars will be really making the big money. But the others will also make little money, meaning, you know, the local, I don't know, uh, pizza store in Ann Arbor uh, who where, you know, a, a woman soccer player is quite popular. So she will be paid not $5 million, but 50000 or whatever to hawk the, the pizza store. And uh, so it'll, it's, it's, a, it's a complete new, uh, a new dimension. And this then led to an earthquake in terms of shaking up the established conferences, the leagues, if you will, um, which is also completely unknown where this will end. Uh, but it's very clear that the NCAA as, it's, as an institution has lost its policing power over the issue of who is and who isn't an athlete, and above all, over the issue of this amateurism. So it, it's, a, it's a serious weakening, but which does not mean, to come back to how Andy used the word NCAA, that the American college system will be any less attractive to the world's athletes. And actually, to completely confirm what Andy said in this aforementioned list of Michigan athletes, it was amazing how many non-US athletes there were. My uh, very good student, uh, Felix Auberg, um, uh, an Austrian, he actually, an NCAA Michigan champion, won it in the mile, which is an interesting NCAA swimming, because, you know, it's the 1500 meters plus a couple hundred more. Uh, so the mile, and he came in sixth in the 1500 meters in the, in the Olympics, representing Austria. And he also came, I think, fourth or fifth in the 800. Hmm. Um, so, but they're Austrians and on and on, and, and Canadians and, and, and um, oh, um, one of our Michigan students, um, she got a lot of solidarity because she swam for Hong Kong, which I find hmm. fascinating. And she, uh, 100 meter, 100 meter, uh, the freestyle, I think she came in, she, she won the silver and came in second to the Australian uh, winner. Um, and she swam for Hong Kong, which I find fascinating that Hong Kong, even in this day and age, kind of has its own. It's a shimmer. So surely it's a shimmer. Yeah, 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 yeah. Just like, just like Puerto Rico, which mm. is fascinating to me because, of course, they're American citizens, but Puerto Rico, which won its first gold medal, by the way. Mm, uh, mm. Anyway, so um, it, yeah. it's fascinating. I, we, I, need, I should have stopped you at the time because it's only as you told your story about the Diet Coke and the burger that I realised when you said punter, because as soon as you said punter, <laughs> an Australian audience is thinking a gambler. That's what we call a gambler. Oh, Somewhere, someone sitting in the betting agency with seven screens on punter. Oh, this oh, the other. So when you say I had lunch with a punter, I'm thinking, oh, this is not the Andy I know. But of course, you were talking about the kicker in American football, right? Well, so, a particular kicker. Well, yes. Well, Andy, a particular kicker, not the kicker. The kicker is the place kicker, or, the, yes. or, or the, yes. so it's actually it's the it's the the kicker who is used for defensive purposes. He's yes. a 
he's a liberator. When yes. your team is in dire straits, he actually liberates you. And by the way, in American English, the word to punt means exactly when you're flustered and you don't know what to do. Say, so, oh, let's punt. Let's sort of let's get get out of this out of this pickle. So right. punting is to 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 liberate from an, a, a bad situation, and that's oh. what this this guy does. And so actually, he only kicks by holding. And by the way, there's a big Australian issue. Yeah. Here. Yes. Yeah. Yes, we have some yeah, good memories. Oh, the Michigan guy. Oh my yeah, yeah. god! Yeah, yeah. No, don't, don't start. Don't start. We were going so well. We were going so well. No, 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 no. But, but, yeah, interesting. As you were, as you were. No, no, no. I just uh, it was a fascinating story that he was um, he played for Michigan and actually was used because uh, Australian uh, playing from uh, from Aussie rules football. Uh, kick the ball very efficiently, but actually they do it on the side. They kind of go, go off sideways. And he uh, did this and was blocked. And our worst and most hated enemy, Michigan State, uh, even though we were winning the game, Michigan State fell on the ball, caught the ball, ran back into touchdown, and it was the biggest upset. And by the way, they constantly show it to this day. I just literally, I just literally cannot take it. No. And, and this is I, recent, I, too. This was only like three or four years ago. This yeah, is very absolutely. recent history. No, absolutely. I, I remember I was actually not in the big – because I was – I gave a lecture. It must have been in 2017 because it was after my uh, uh, animal and dog rescue book. And I was uh, gave a lecture in Pennsylvania, came back to Ann Arbor and was in the taxi from the Ann Arbor airport, I mean, from the Detroit airport on the way home when I heard this. Mm -hmm. And I said, oh, we got this guard's great. We will win. And then this happened. And I asked the driver who was this Pakistani, and you know, who knew nothing about this. Um, occasionally we, we would talk cricket um, with Ali and I said, Ali, please just pull over for a second. I, I cannot handle this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I said, but, 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 but Andy, I'm driving. Said, no, no, just please. <laughs> what happened? I said, it's, I can't explain. Something yeah, yeah. very bad happened. Yeah. And, you know, just pull over. We pulled over. Then we, I got home. Well, so, um, Andy, we had a, uh, my son and I watched it, the Amazon series of the Michigan football team, um, All or Nothing. Have you seen that, Harps? Yes. Uh, yeah. Exactly. It's, it's very, very good. Um, very good. Yeah. Very good. Very good. Oh, and wonderful. You, you just uh, watch it because you're interested in. Uh, yeah. Well, I love, I mean, I love American sports. So, um, and and we watched this uh, and it was, was just most enjoyable. It was a well done documentary. And yeah. I'm, I'm not sure if that coach is still there, is he? Uh, I can't. No, I can't. He's not there. No, 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 right. no. Not. That was uh, uh, Lloyd Carr. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It wasn't him. Yeah. yeah. No, 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 no. It's not. I think so. I think so. Yes. Yes. Mm. He's not there. We are. Let's not talk Michigan football. Let's no, 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 no. But let's let's quickly let's let's quickly now go back to the other side of this amateurism yes. and professionalism because this is fascinating. This is a comment. One of the things I enjoyed most about our Olympic experience this year, shared the way I interacted with it. I said this to Craig through the television is my complete admiration and for and connection with the relatively amateur athletes. Um, you know, the track runners in our case, a anyone but from one of the organised team sports who doesn't make a living, in fact, they're virtually paying for the privilege of working their bodies to the bone to get to punching weight, running weight, fighting weight, 
to be on this stage and then win or lose, they're interviewed afterwards and they're just so full of joy and grace. Yeah. It was such a refreshing experience for me, which took, which completely reinvigorated the whole amateur ideal. I know it's, it's like the tailbone on the human anatomy and we're just grabbing onto these last vestiges of sporting purity if, if it's not too strong a way of putting it. But the other side of college athletes now being able to commercialise their name is the Seinfeld argument, Andy, the, the, the laundry argument. So the punter who couldn't accept the burger and Diet Coke because it would have contravened his amateur status and put in jeopardy his scholarship if indeed he was on one. Yes, yeah, yeah. You know, so, so those athletes firstly aren't getting nothing if you're on scholarship. You're getting a $150,000, $200,000 education. This is the counter argument. You're not doing it exactly for nothing. And secondly, you know, the 110,000 people, which is an aside, um, when I was there, the public announcement when they said 108,000 people in the game against Southern Methodist University, SMU, to which Andy invited me, the public address said, thanks, people. This is the um, 40th consecutive season of 100,000 plus attendances, 208, seven home games a year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 200, he said 280th or something yeah, consecutive yeah, 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 yeah. crowd, over 100,000 over 100, people. I'm doing the math, seven, eight, that's 40 years every year, 100,000 people in the big house at Ann Arbor. Now, my point is, as part of that continuum, Andy, the punter whom you shouted or wanted to shout the burger and the Coke, he didn't make Michigan football. It's the laundry effect. 110,000 people every week are turning up. This is sport to cheer on the badge and the colours. The players are completely transitory. Absolutely. Absolutely. So if you're getting a $200,000 education on the back of that adherence and attachment to the laundry... You've surely won, haven't you? What more can you want? Uh, yes. This is the counter argument. No, the, no, I know it's a counter. I, I think it's a very, very valid one. Uh, um, can you attack him, Andy, before I do? No, I think, it, look, look, I think it, what, what I don't like about this or the, the argument is that somehow amateurism is somehow seen as, as more virtuous. It's, mm. it's, it's, it's holier. It's somehow purer. And, um, and but it, it, sorry for interrupting, but isn't it holier? Isn't it more pure? When you're watching the Olympic Games and you see these fresh, fresh, so our two girls out to now because they've done well they're ours when they don't do so well they're individual yes, athletes. But yes, our, yes, yes. Our, two, our two athletes who ran in the 1500 meters women's final on the track it's a rare thing for us in fact our track team did incredibly well comparatively um in this olympiad but they're both at university in america one was at oregon i think doing her on a scholarship at the university of oregon uh-huh. now it is actually my reaction was watching these watching these people not getting paid for running, except that she's on scholarship, the, the, the purity and the fresh-faceness and the excitement of these people talking to their family at home through the camera and whatever fans they've got, compared to the sullen, frog-marched, chastised, cauterized, unwilling media contributions of fully professional footballers, let's say, or tennis players, 
actually highlighted to me the beauty of the amateur athlete compared with the fully blown. But, but Harps, could that joy be absolutely associated with that they have uh, they have their rights and their rights and their branding has just gone up because they've just done well, they've run an Olympic final and now they'll have more chance to have that opportunity because... Do you, you think that's why they were so excited? I, I, because I, I can't I, think of many track athletes in Australian history who've retired to the Bahamas. No, but, 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 but Andy, um, I mean, is it really, I mean, is it true that um, uh, I can't, I mean, that, see, I actually think that the joy of winning and is, is, is level. I mean, uh, uh, you know, what I found so interesting is that uh, you know, Kevin Durant and, and these NBA gods who were, you know, were supposed to, of course, they were not only delighted, they were actually relieved. And one of them said so. But clearly, um, if you were to measure the joy of, of, I don't think that the professionals are all jaded. here. I mean, do you, I, I'm not sure that that's true. I mean, Cause, I, maybe. Because Patty Mills is, what about Patty Mills, Hubs? He's paid a hell of a lot of money, and uh, I think his joy at Australia getting a bronze medal, um, I What's think it you? was there. And 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 even if you, uh, yeah, I, I, it's not a measure of their joy. Uh, it uh, so so because because you can't you can't put a value on someone. You're not in their heart. You're not in their mind. You don't know what they're thinking or feeling. So I'm I'm not making that comment. Oh, okay. Um, it, it, it's purely entry-level freshness about the excitement of being there. Now, may, maybe it's just the mediation in the message. Maybe it's the fact that it's once every four years and, you know, this is their time to shine and everyone's yeah. sort of jumping in on the zeitgeist as it was. The athletes, the, 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 the spectators, we're all part of that zeitgeist, which is this is once every four years, let's just get into it. Whereas the more regular rusted on leagues and professional men and women who play in these pro circuits and pro leagues, they're on the conveyor belt every, every, every athletic day of their lives. So maybe there's, it's just a freshness thing. I'm not sure. I just know that I was really invigorated by it um, because then I look at, you know, the, I, I totally get people's right to earn money from their talent. I, I would never rain on that parade, but let, let's just, flick to the Lionel Messi Barcelona disaster. And the thought that someone at half price is still getting $100 million a year, if the business decides he's entitled to it, that's fantastic. But my God, you know, how, how does this work? I'd much rather, in a lot of senses, watch people who can't be accused of playing for the money because there's no money in it. You're, you're, uh, you're more virtuous guy that I am. I'd much rather watch, you know, messy. I mean, yeah, I, I, I just, whenever I, you know, I never think about any of the athletes I see in terms of what they make or, or, or just, I don't, I, I, I sort of, I, I know many people, I mean, I just, I just enjoy watching them and, and, you know, I don't look, oh, this guy is making, so, um, to me, um, you know, watching uh, uh, Steph Curry shoot uh, the way he does is just bliss. And 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 regardless of what you think, he's the first NBA player to sh to, to 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 sign two two hundred plus million contracts. 
uh, <laughs> you know, apropos. So, um, yeah, it's, 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 uh, yeah, I mean, I, but I, it doesn't ruin it for me. That's all, but that's probably because I just love this stuff and, um, you know, um, I'm, you know, yeah, I, I agree with you, Professor Andy. I mean, it doesn't ruin it for me. Harps, I understand your point. I, I actually find where I've struck it more is is not the, the big-time athletes that are earning a lot of money. It's the small-time ones that aren't earning a hell of a lot. And I've seen it, you know, particularly in national teams where absolutely, you know, they've stopped playing for the, the badge long ago and they're just playing for their you know, the name on the back and what that can do for them. And um, that has, particularly with our own nation, I think there was, you know, um, but sometimes, yeah, I'd watch players win, lose or draw in the dressing room and seeing it. And what struck me was how often the first thing that they did was went to their own mobile phone, win, lose or draw. They would go back and, I would think that they were looking at what exactly had happened or what people were saying about them. Uh, if they had made a mistake or if they'd played well, seeing what their family is saying about them, but they're not celebrating or being upset. And that, I don't know if that's professionalism. I mean, it's actually not a professional attitude or as such, but maybe it's the sport of football, <laughs> you know, football, soccer, that has yeah. that attitude because of such the transient nature of it where... You know, you can be at a club one year and I mean, how, what's the, if we looked at the, the data and saw how long to really, you know, the majority of players stay at one place. Um, you know, I think football, soccer is an ugly sport in respect to uh, virtue right. as such. And that's someone that, that's in it all the time. However, I saw, I've seen very different things in other nations where they wouldn't think of, you know, the first thing they will do is, yeah, it's with their team. So it is a, it's an interesting concept. So you're drawing a direct comparison there. You've worked with three national football teams, ours, the Socceroos. You've worked with Iran at the Asian Cup of 2019, uh, uh, 20, yeah, 2019, and now you're with the United Arab Emirates in their World Cup qualifiers. So mm -hmm. interesting because geographically they're into two camps, but culturally, religiously, you're into three camps there. And, and geopolitically, you're into three camps there. Um, so it's it's quite an interesting interesting separation of the three. And you would say the UAE is on par with Iran because I know you're infatuated with the the culture of Iran sport as it manifested in the dressing room of their national football team, Team Melly. Is that similar to the UAE? Yeah, look, there was definitely similarities um, that that I saw. I I I would say there is differences as well. You know, there is differences. Uh, Team Melly had a, you know, I've told that story before, just the passion. Dr. Andy Evans. Yeah, the passion. Oh, Andy, I was working with this, you know, with the Iran national team. Keros was the coach. Yeah. Yeah. Keros, yeah. The yeah. 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 Yeah, incredible coach, incredible leader, fantastic man, like a, a football philosopher, um, an educator, actually. Uh, his background was that... Um, he wrote the first football science course at the uh, University of Lisbon. So an educated man. And most of the Portuguese coaches had come through that course. Wow. Um, and I saw, 
we were in this Asian Cup. They were favourites, or they had, but they hadn't got past the quarterfinals. I think for you know for thirty years, twenty years. Anyway, in a round of sixteen game, we we're playing Oman, which we should win, and um, but it was the first minute and first second minute maybe, and uh, Iran conceded a penalty. And um, for me, I thought, okay, well, you know, it's the second minute of the game. There's a long way to go and, and we've got a lot of firepower, so it's, it's going to be okay. And um, the keeper saved the penalty. And I thought that was wonderful and I was quite relaxed. And I turned my head and I saw, you know, obviously Carlos had his, his own staff, the Portuguese and myself and a few others from other nations, but the Iranian staff that were, were there. And I looked and they had tears streaming down their face you know that they and the tension in their face that and the release of that after the goalkeeper had saved the penalty in the second minute and then I turned my head in the crowd and there's Iranians there as well with the same thing and I thought to myself wow this is this is something I've never seen before and then you know as as I went further I realized you know there's 80 million people in Iran and then when the national team plays, there's 50 plus million watching it. And, um, and then from that, uh, Carlos's interpreter had told me, besides, um, you know, the football coach, the head football coach is one of the most prominent people in Iran. And he told me that he, you know, people had said in the, in the last, in the 40 years of the regime, <laughs> that Carlos was the most outspoken of, of anyone. <laughs> and uh, and and he was absolutely worshipped there, so that was an incredible experience, Harps. You know, and um, look, our own nation. You know, the the great players. You know, the the senior players, the Cahills, the Yednaks, uh, the, the Milligans. You know, and many many more um, were were just true true professional and played for absolutely played for the badge. But I do. My memory is clouded by, I think, some people that were more um, interested in, in, in what was on the, on the back of the shirt. And, of course, Andy, this is sort of, you sort of alluded to this in college sports in America. We, 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 they can make the rule, they can pass the law that athletes can commercialise their image rights. And that can happen with the stroke of a pen, albeit after a lot of to and fro and debate. But we're not going to know for a while the impact of that on the culture right. of culture of sports and the culture of of these uh, of, of this sort of movement and to draw a soccer connection to this yes without notice this question goes to you andy because i just wonder one of the things that stopped mls or north american soccer league its predecessor one of the things that slowed its progress was the was the the dwarfed impact it impact at college level with soccer, which is slowly right. changing. We're at the point now where MLS boasts 33% of its roster as either college graduates or yes. people who've gone through to some point the college system. That, that's, a, that's a quantum shift from, and it's a very necessary thing for soccer to have in America to be part of this massive institution. One of the things that stopped it till now is American exceptionalism because the NCAA insists on doing soccer its way, not the FIFA way. Uh, that sort of will change over time. But the big one is the professional argument. And that is these established MLS clubs 
for the, for the first part of their existence, wouldn't consider college soccer players because they had no control over their development and they had no control over their development because they couldn't contract them. And the moment they would have contracted them and paid them any sort of stipend up to whatever threshold level, like a burger and Coke or something, beyond that, these players would lose their eligibility. So I'm just trying now to look into the crystal ball, Andy, and here's the question without notice. Might actually the acceptance of professionalism in NCAA sport help the one sport that the NCAA has never really gone out of its way to help, and that's men's soccer? Yes. The answer is a very short yes. Uh, but in general, I think soccer um, in the US, I mean, I talk about only on the men's side, because on the women, yes, uh, in, 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 in the women, it's a very interesting. With the women, it was exactly the, it was the soccer I mean, college was the great progenitor of women's soccer. I mean, um, you know, it's uh, North Carolina is the Real Madrid or the, or the, you know, I mean, the, the, the team. And even in that wonderful movie, Bend It Like Beckham, which is, I, I love at the end, if you recall, the the English young woman is on her way to Santa Clara or whatever some one of the California schools where she won a four years scholarship and in fact I think quite a few of the the England players and for I think a couple of the Germany I, mean, I, I bet even maybe some of the Matildas aren't they even college uh, players in the U.S. Not enough not enough of them Andy but a couple yeah a couple okay so um yeah Andy so so uh, uh on the women's side, it actually was a huge success precisely. And here's the point, precisely because the women's game proliferated not by virtue of the market, but by virtue of the state or by the virtue of, of some political directive called in this case, Title IX. The market alone wouldn't sustain it. And in fact, to this day, it doesn't sustain it, really. Okay. Um, and, uh, and so the weak, in this case, the women, the weak always need another agency other than the market for them to succeed. Whoever, this is, you know, it's called social democracy or whatever. And so to answer your question about the men, yes, absolutely. Because the men's game now actually has started to open into, a, in, into the market arena, meaning that enough Americans or a growing number of Americans are now also playing in, in, in the big European leagues. And this is crucial. And so ultimately, if you think about it this way, uh, you know, all sports or every, everything can be seen as sort of core semi-periphery periphery, as a uh, the dependencia theory of economic development. And in almost all things, the United States and certainly in the, the big four sports is the core, everybody will. In soccer, it is not. And in fact, in soccer, it was not even a semi-periphery, it was the periphery. And it, had, it, it just constantly re re reciprocated in that, uh, I mean, kind of, it never can, could overcome it, but now actually with MLS, it has become a semi-periphery, meaning that it actually has entered into um, a very fruitful relationship with the big four, big five in Europe. Um, it now supplies players to it. And in fact, also now gets some back. And there's not just these old 
European has-beens or Latin America who, who come in NASL style, which was a disaster. Um, but it's also a different era. And it all hinges on the American men's national team. If the American national team, which I still hope um, you know, will happen in my lifetime, makes it into a semifinal uh, in the World Cup, and loses in a glorious match against, I don't know, Brazil, Argentina, Germany, one of the big boys. Um, and it has um, two kind of shining stars that can be valorized, can be, you know, really, I you know, become major stars. I think that, um, you know, at the end of my life, uh, soccer will become a good number five. It will be very much on par with hockey and maybe even beyond that. It will really... Uh, the United States can indeed become also a soccer power, um, which, um, you know, meaning that it would be able to uh, play with, and, 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 and that's why the, the, the position of someone like, and the field players are so important, someone like Pulisic, crucial. I, you know, had Pulisic scored that goal for Chelsea. I mean, I, by the way, I hated both of them. I hate Chelsea and City. So it was very hard for me. I just kind of thought to myself, pox on both of their houses. But <laughs> I always was, you know, because I'm for a larger, I, too, too bad that, you know, Pulisic missed by this much. And had that gone in, it would have, I mean, already he's a big a star, but had that gone in, it would have been a really, really major event. Um, sort of the... Novitsky dimension of sports, um, where we need, everybody needs a national hero who, who then sort of translates because you follow it, but you have to play at with the best of the best. So being a great American player for the New England Revolution won't cut it. Okay, it's precisely in a world in which now millions of Americans are now soccer literate. They know of City and United and, and Bayern and, 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 and Sevilla. They know this. I could see it with my students. I mean, it was completely terra incognita even 10 to 12 years ago. Now it's completely part on, you know, people follow it. And that, I think, propels the game um, and its culture to a degree that it was never there before. And... Um, it's absolutely imperative that the U.S. men make it to the Qatar World Cup. I mean, another elimination like to Russia would be a disaster. Um, and with that, um, you know, obviously the next World Cup we're qualified for, and even though it's a, a, a North American Cup, Mexico, Canada, and the U.S., it really is more or less a U U.S. Cup, especially now that Montreal, for reasons that I find ridiculous, decided not to host any of the games. Um, you know, there's a tendency on part of advanced industrial societies. I'm sure this exists also in Australia to some degree, although not with Brisbane, but uh, some degree where um, there, it's very cool. It's the greening of politics to spurn uh, mega events, uh, not to go for the Olympics. I mean, only dictatorships do that. And, uh, you know, not to, and it's, it was cool not to host mega events like the World Cup. And uh, so Montreal uh, decided to exit from its Canadian uh, contingent. And I think there's no replacement. So it's just going to be Montreal, Toronto, it was Montreal, Toronto, and I think Vancouver. And I think they did not find 
uh, a replacement, and I think it'll be in an Amer another American city. Hmm. Um, anyway, but of the 82 or however many games there will be, I think it's something like 82, 60 will be played in the United States. Yeah. Hmm. Um, so it's really an American uh, tournament, and uh, and it's 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 it will make. I mean, it's 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 very very important, and um, I have you know. My hopes are very high for, mm. for, for that event. Mm. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, so I, I think uh, the game is ultimately, but it had to be, see, you can't construct this out of nothing. It had to be a feedback between the excellence of the core, which in this case is the big five European leagues, and above all within that, the EPL, the premiership has, a, has an amazing power. I mean, it just, uh, you know, Mm. Huge, um, so much so that, for example, the the um, Rebecca Lowe, who is uh, the grand dame of, of um, and of course, have to have you have to have a British accent. That will not. We shouldn't even get to that fascinating story of how this sport cannot be decoupled from its Englishness. Still, mm. okay. Um, but Rebecca Lowe was one of the major NBC superstars for the Olympics. And it was, uh, again, British announcers who were there for the women's, um, for the women's soccer. Um, and uh, I did actually, to tell you the truth, I, I uh, to my uh, terrible, I watched badminton and all kinds of other games, but I did not watch the men. So I did not watch Spain, Brazil, or any of this. I'm an old, 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 old timer to me. On the men's side, the Olympics uh, and soccer are, you know, mm. not important. And that I'm completely right about this. I, th I think I emailed this to Andy. What I found fascinating in that whole run-up to the Copa America final, where the whole world was rooting, unlike other than me, I was rooting for Brazil, but everyone else was rooting for Argentina. Why? Because Lionel Messi had to finally get the monkey off his back that he win can win one thing for the <laughs> This is very important. And Ronaldo, having done that for Portugal twice, Messi had to do this to be the clear goat. Okay, I think this is ridiculous because he, to me, is the goat. You know, he didn't need this, but it's irrelevant what I think. But what I found fascinating in this whole run-up is literally no one ever mentioned that Messi would won the gold medal with the Argentinians, including Messi. I mean, it was never an asked Grant, who's kind of uh, a quasi-Argentinian. He, he speaks perfect Spanish. He loves Argentina. It's his second home, so to speak. And I asked him this. I said, Grant, is this, do I misconceive? He said, no, Andy, you're totally right. It just never brought up by the Aust Argentinian press that, no, actually, Lionel, hey, he actually won a gold medal for the Albis. It's completely unimportant. He never won the Copa America. He never won the World Cup. No, forget about the Olympics. So on the men's side, it really doesn't play an important role. On the women's, of course, it's huge. And yeah. here, of course, there's a whole restructuring with the American team now, um, uh, having lost to Canada and not winning. By the way, no one has ever won the World Cup and the Olympics, ensuing uh, Olympics which is, I find very interesting for the women, none of them, which is fascinating, I find. Um, so the U.S., and I think uh, Carly Lloyd just declared today that she's retiring. Mm. So After a farewell tour. 
She's doing, she's doing quite a farewell to her. Exactly. It's like Johnny Farnham. You know, she's got, I'm retiring, but I'll do the entire Northern Hemisphere spring season yeah, well, with the national team. Like, yeah. So come yeah, out and cheer like, me you know, on. She's like a rock star. So, you yeah. know, if you're yeah. a rock star, you know, Fair it's like, <laughs> Kobe, Fair like Kobe, Kobe Bryant and mm. some of these major NBA stars went on a, an entire year of farewell tours. Mm. Mm. Um, you know, sort of, uh, and I guess uh, she does that too. And, mm. Mm. We've got, I, uh, I'm, I'm sure Megan Rapinoe will follow suit soon, mm. I think. Mm. Yeah, her post career is going to be interesting. Well, we'll uh, post playing career is going to be interesting. I wonder if she's going to saddle up for any sort of thinking job or political job. But um, you, you mentioned soccer culture. In the time that we've got left, and I mean, I could keep going for hours. We might still, but we've been going a while now. Craig's very good at editing these things. I'm absolutely not. He won't talk to what you've said, but he'll find a good point to play his banjo music <laughs> to get us out of an episode and then turn up the whale music to get us into another what i'm saying is we can cut this chat no i'm actually i'm episodes. actually watching youtube clips to work out how to do how that to do and, right, and, right. and i and i and no <laughs> what I, one thing that's fascinated me and you know we only get andy markovitz on well this is the first time so let's make the most of it not to say we can't have him back again i'm sure yeah, there'll be a, a stampede of feedback from our seven listeners that um in fact such is the repute of andy we might actually break double figures on this one Craig. Once no, this be, goes viral, because because we want to get into said. the and we need to get into the dogs because that's a, a big soft spot well, of dogs. mine yes be, oh, be, before oh, we do that before we do that because this one this iron's hot for me and craig and andy i'm, I'm sort of a one-trick pony i played a lot of different sports as a kid but as an adult it's been pretty much football craig has been in serious elite dressing rooms of all sorts of different sports and Andy you've just consumed the the the, the whole palette that that Michigan and NCAA sport plus the pro side of things have been able to deliver you my question is this about soccer culture it's really starting to fascinate me that soccer players mostly men but it's increasingly the case in women's football too between team members, it's open season. If someone makes a mistake or someone doesn't think someone else is pulling their weight, that the verbal tirade between teammates is an acceptable form of communication and actual motivation. I don't see it happening pretty much in any other sport where the stakes are equally high. I watch the NBA, someone makes a mistake, in the NBA, you never see the teammates berate them. Uh, doesn't happen in rugby league. Certainly doesn't happen in the gentlemanly enclave of rugby union. It doesn't happen in Aussie rules. Uh, it doesn't happen in baseball. It doesn't happen in American football. It only happens in soccer where your teammates are open season if you think they've made a mistake or they're not pulling their weight. And I'm watching this permeate right into junior soccer and realising it's probably always been there. Am I making this up or have you noticed the same thing? And if so, why is soccer so different? I, I, I plead total ignorance on this. Where I, where I find soccer being um, a, an outlier is in, it, is in the horrible counter-cosmopolitanism of its fandom. 
um, you know, especially in Europe, the, the racism and, and it's just uh, that that I found, I find uh, horrible. I mean, look at this England thing, you know, missing the penalties. It was just uh, disgusting. I mean, that, that, you know, the reaction. That was, very, that was very overt. But Andy, there's a lot of counter cosmopolitanism in the rival fan groups of, of American university football. I'm just thinking no, 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 Michigan not, versus not, Ohio State. No, Michigan no, versus... no, 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 there is. There is, of course, but not, not racism like this. No, 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 sure. Or you can compartmental it into certain isms, but there's still... Yeah, yeah, still... yeah, but uh, no, no, of course, there's a lot of teasing and hatred and whatever, whatever. absolutely, but not not the same and not as vicious uh, as, by the way, you have in, in Poland, in Austria, everywhere. I mean, it's it's not, at least in Europe, everywhere, I um, and parts of Latin. Uh, but I actually, the, on the other one, I kind of was, was wondering about that too. I just don't know enough about soccer players like you do to universalize it as, as you have and i'm sure you you let me let me put it to you this way then andy you say so you do watch a lot of the epl and particularly man united next time you're watching top flight european football yes okay make a point just make a point of observing how players react to their own teammates when mistakes happen when a goalkeeper is forced to make a save the first thing he does invariably is stand up tantrum-like, stamp his feet and punch yes, his fist. Yes, 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 Where were you? What are you doing? Uh, that's a goalkeeper. Harps, that's a goalkeeper. It's goal not just goalkeepers, thing. though. It's not yeah. just goalkeepers. What I'm saying is that in, in soccer, it's open season on your teammates. And and I don't understand it, it, most people, who knows if most people can cope with it. We only see the people who survive. Harps, I, can I, I, I think... It doesn't happen in rugby league. I've played it. There's no way you'd crack at your mates like that. No, and, and even seeing it in the dressing rooms. I think it gets back to what I said before. I, I, I think the way football has gone is it's, it, it's a team sport, yes, because you need to play with a team, but it's really a, a whole group of individuals that are, you know, that have got an individual uh, mindset in respect to their career. And it's how's it developed like this then? I think it's is it a function of its working class roots? Is that anything to do with it? I I don't don't know. What I see is that uh, it comes back to leadership, it comes back to leadership in the dressing room. Uh, there's no doubt that's in that's imperative of you know the coach and the leadership they display to make sure that this doesn't happen, you know, it wouldn't happen in a workplace. So why would it happen on the field like you're saying? But I think there's serious issues in respect to uh, the culture of professional football um, and how it's led. Uh, agents have a role in this as well. Um, Andy, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. No, please, 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 please. I'm, I'm sorry, I, I, I shouldn't have interrupted you. Go ahead. Oh, no, no, it's okay. But, but I'm, oh, I'm trying I, to... Yeah, I'm just trying to think why. Just one second. I just just trying to think because the the American sports, NBA and NFL, are very similar. You know, like because they can get traded at the you know at any moment. So you're not seeing it there, but you're seeing it but in I football. Actually, I, I, I would like to contest that. I think Andy's wrong about that. Mm. I mean, just the NBA. Are you kidding me? I mean, LeBron James and Kyrie Irving. I mean, yeah. they were bickering and hate, you know, on the, and a Kyrie Irving apparently is a very difficult guy to get along with everybody, but, but I mean, yeah, I, I, I don't know this is, I don't think that you're right about this. Is it, is it possibly, uh, is it possibly I mean, the exception? Know, I, 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 
I know the, I mean, there, there's a lot of tension. And look what, the, yeah, tension. look what they've just done to Ben Simmons. Look at that house. Oh, oh, there you go. I mean, now Ben Simmons, <laughs> I mean, uh, Joel and B basically afterwards, when they lost, basically said that he doesn't want to play with the guy. And the, and the coach even turned on him. Everyone turned on him. Where you've got a well, of course, but he did. no, no, no. I, I, that, you can, you, you, these are perhaps the exceptions that prove the rule. I think if you turn on any football match, any professional football match, whatever the level, okay, you will be able to log instances of players. It's not even a personal thing. It's the, it's this it's this part of the game where you're almost encouraged. It's become an almost an encourage, encouraging trait to hold your teammates to vociferous and demonstrable account and worse. Now, we can, in any sport, it's not a matter of tension because the stakes are high across the sports and you can find personality clashes which might occasionally erupt into the public forum and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But, you're not routinely going to watch an NBA game and see this behaviour performed or exhibited by each team in each game. Yeah, I, I maybe. I mean, I just um, interesting question. I don't, 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 don't have the answer to it. Yeah. I, I, well, yeah, uh, there might be an answer to it. I, 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 yeah. You don't think so, Craig? You've worked in the rugby league. I mean, there, there is no. There is no more physically intimidating sporting theatre than state of origin rugby league. Like it or not like it, that is a fact. You know, these guys, unprotected, 120 kilos, whatever that translates to in pounds, just running full pelt into each other with no protection, uh, no personal protection, no protective equipment, time after time after time. Is it, is it rougher than American football? Oh, much rougher. Much rougher. Um, uh, yeah, I think I, I, I think if you really look at it up close, it's, I think it, so. I mean, you don't yeah. have the, I mean, American football's got, you know, American football has the the enormous people, and I think they're both dangerous sports. But um, yes, but definitely rugby league, I, I think, is uh, is incredibly dangerous to the point where, you know, the first live game I'd ever been to was. The, the first time I was working with the state of origin team and I was on the sideline at, you know, game one. For and, Queensland uh, or for New South Wales, which one? New South Wales. I, yeah. I, I, I was quite smart. They, they came to the skinny football guy because they needed help after they'd lost eight in a row. So I sort of worked out, well, hang on, they've got to win sometime. So this could be a good, <laughs> this could be a good look. And uh, so we put a whole lot of processes in place and, and they were successful, but you know, it was probably just time, but um, I've got to say, Andy, when, when I saw what I saw after a couple of minutes, all I could think of was who, who would allow their child to play this sport <laughs> because it was that bar, that incredibly intense. And, and in saying that with you, Harps, they were different people than football players. They were yeah. different. They were, they were there for their each other. Um, and I still believe that because we still do some work into, in, you know, into the, the major competition. And um, yeah, it's a different, it is definitely a different uh, mindset, I think. Yeah. It, 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 you know, maybe I'm just banging on about something that doesn't exist, but all sports have their own cultures. And I just wonder if there's something in its, at its origin 
serious origin, going way back when when the football codes was were being socialised and stratified, that the harshness in relative terms of a working class existence didn't become a little bit manifest at least in the way soccer was played and, and relationships on the soccer field became, like I said, became manifest. It, it certainly, who, who knows, who knows? But I, I, I'm, I don't think I'm making up the difference in the way professional footballers conduct themselves as a general rule compared to other sports. I'd be fascinated to... Let's throw it out there, Craig. I wonder if anyone who's still yeah. listening is... Uh, well, I think, I, yeah, look, I think you're right. In, in respect to... I mean, the most concerning thing is in youth football where I think it's horrendous. And I think there nearly is bullying on the pitch, uh, that which goes to bullying in training. And then that that upsets me immensely because... You know, it might turn them away from being physically active and then a spiral down into a, a life of lack of physical activity. And that's concerning. So I definitely agree with you there in our country of youth football um, that it is horrendous. It all gets back to me about leadership, isn't it? You know, you have a coach for a reason that can stop this. If they see that and that, that for me is, is um, poor leadership, if I'm seeing that continuously. Sure, but even with the great coaches, and you've worked with Ange Postacoglu, who's one of the, you know, in our humble opinion, one of the greatest. You started very well at Celtic, by the way, mm. Andy, because I know you listened to that chat with... Yeah, um, yeah, 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 yeah. I, I listened to the, your wonderful podcast with, uh, with Grant. Yeah, so keep mm. your eye on Celtic just to see if he can break through that, that and get over those initial hurdles and then watch them fly. If it comes to pass, it'll be really something. But he's a great coach. And he runs his dressing room. Craig's been there. He can tell you better than I. And I'll defer to him. But even his players, Craig, who are, who are transfixed by the aura of Ange and operating very functionally in the atmosphere that he's created, even it's, part, it's just part of your kit bags, like your shin pads, your boots, your jock strap, and your right to... Let me put it this way: speak very forcefully to a teammate when you disagree with what they're doing. It's it's really different from the, the general behaviour and an application of many other sports. But you've been with Ange, you've seen how he constructs a dressing room, and still players do that. Yeah, look, I, I suppose if we get back to it, you know what happens in sport and what happens in dressing rooms and what happens in the workplace of sport. If that was in any other environment in the in the world, there would be a lot of workplace issues, and uh, and and that's I'm I'm continually concerned about that. That I think we need to bridge that gap. Yeah. Um, I know it is sport, but it's also where people. I've, I've seen horrendous things, even you know, in my consulting work to performance people trying to see what in and what happens to them and their health and the workplace well-being. It's not even thought of in sport. And or it's thought of, but it's a bit tick the box. But yeah, there's definitely things that need to change in that culture to bring it in line with other workplaces, I would suggest. Oh, what a fascinating about, segue. Sorry, Andy, go on, go on. No, I mean, uh, I always say that, you know, if I would behave like one hundredth of a never mind one tenth of a with the way that any you know, Michigan coach behaves to their students, I'd be fired on the spot. Absolutely. Absolutely. 
Yeah. I mean, if I were to say, use the language about why this guy wrote a bad, and believe me, sometimes these papers are <laughs> bad. Trust me, trust me. But I mean, if I, you know, just, just, it just, it's impossible. So I've always wondered why it is uh, how that, that in, in sports and actually all sports could be known from gymnastics. We know it. it so it's not only the male contact sports. Uh, one of these uh, women's gurus who was the big head of, you, of you know, women's gymnastic in the U.S. Uh, was actually again, I mean, she didn't sexually abuse them like this guy Nasser did, the, 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 the doctor. Uh, but, you know, she abused these, um, these women verbally and put them down and, and, you know, treated them abysmally. And so I always, you're totally right about this, uh, Craig, that, that there is a certain kind of tone in all sports. I think it has something to do with maybe with the body that, that is just, maybe it's like an army or, or because we, we treat the body differently, mm -hmm. um, that you have a license to speak uh, to your subordinates or your, your employees or whatever, the way you just would never be able to do. I mean, you, you, there's no way I could speak to the students. Well, well, it's absolutely incredible, Andy. I've spoken to numerous coaches, you know, when they, they, you know, they're upset about how a player is playing. And I would suggest to them, well, how are you treating them? You know, they're, we're a month away from the end of the season. You haven't even spoken about their contract to them, whether they're staying or going. Um, they've got a family, they've got, things going on you know happy players will play better or on the other turn you know a player that they don't like or they don't want they put them out the back to to train with by themselves i mean as a as you know originally yeah. in my career as a fitness coach the amount of times i've been given players just to tell them to run them into the ground so they will walk away from their contract you talk really? about virtue that's a disgrace and 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 it, and it, 54 years of age, I'm fortunate enough to, I can speak out about that. Mm -hmm. And I, and I now can, we need to make a change in sport. It's no surprise. I mean, it'd be a wonderful area to research, you know, people go on about, you know, the depression related to post sport sporting careers is no surprise to me. Um, and we see it sometimes with the big name players. Okay. That they've, they've had issues post sport, but all the ones that never really made it, that might have had one, two years in the pros, um, and what has happened to their life, you know, we're not even seeing that. And a lot of it's got to do with, you know, how were they looked after in the workplace? And um, it's light years away, even, even Andy, in respect to recruitment. You know, I know it's probably better in the States, but the recruitment of staff in um in the sporting environment doesn't follow. There's no way we could get that passed at the university, how they recruit. The interview processes, you know, they're just all, okay, well, I know, you know, I know this guy, he's good, we'll put him in place. I mean, there's no, there's no laws around this. And, and I think, you know, I think it's, it's concerning. Yeah. Yeah. As a segue, just to this, Andy, I'm gonna take you back to your tone. This is in 2010. The title is Women in American Soccer and European Football. It's about, you know, where women's soccer has come from, how much it's broken through and where it goes to from here. But the point that I want to take out of it for this discussion is this post 
binary sports world that Andy in 2010 alludes to because he poses the question in this movement towards gender equality and equal of equality of opportunity, how it can manifestly impact sport in the same way that it is, if I call it secular life, where the CEO of a company can and should be either a man or a woman, not just the domain of a man. And that equality is not going through into sport yet because we still have the men's 100-metre champion yeah. and the women's 100-metre champion. And the decision as crowning one over the other is based on faster, higher, stronger, the Olympic ideal. But Andy raises in 2010 in this book, this post-something world of equality where the measure isn't faster, higher, stronger. The measure becomes something else, Andy, so that women and men can compete um, on a level playing field and, and maybe that if, if that comes to pass over time I don't even know what that looks like or how it's I'm gonna have to throw this to you because this is your concept and and you can flesh well, it out for us how that's going to change these behaviors perhaps I, I, I don't know whether it will change I, I just posited some form of again back to market versus state or my you, you alluded to my work on, on social democracy and, and labor and so on. And um, clearly there are forms of redistributive justice or where you actually can create a system whereby you create a form of equality, even though your output is, even though you are faster, stronger uh, and, 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 and higher. Um, so, you know, where, and, and you could fool around with this uh, in the sense of, for example, let's, let's, let's take, you know, um, uh, you know, why shouldn't the NBA be uh, mixed and mixed team? And you could, uh, well, you could say, well, because the women are not as strong. Well, then of course you could, choose to give the women, um, you know, the women scoring a basket would be five points instead of three or some kind of other form of incentive that creates an equality, which, which otherwise is not there. And that's a form of rule giving. So what I'm saying here is that one could imagine a system of, of rewriting the rules and also the rewards that actually account for this and thereby create an equality, not by physicality, but by rule. And, and that's a choice. I mean, uh, you, you, you could, uh, at some point, um, uh, you know, you, 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 maybe you would actually lo love to watch a mixed gender team uh, as much as you would want to, because you don't only watch the faster, higher, stronger, but in fact, in this case, it's a new rule that does that by, by rule. And so clear, this would, that's the only way that you can create, a, by, in my view, that's the only way you can create a real integrated team sport issue. I mean, it's the only way. Um, and will that become the imperative, do you, do you foresee? Not in, no. I mean, I, oh, look, uh, it has happened now more and more with, with, with medleys. Mm. I mean, both in, in track and field and swimming. Um, there is the team sport of Korfball, which is very interesting. It's this uh, Dutch 
version of basketball, which is very funny because it went from, from um, basketball as an American invention, but then goes back to Holland and, 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 they, and, and they create uh, this game called Korfball, which means basket, Korf is Dutch, where by rule you have four men and four women. Actually, I've seen a couple of these games. It's the only team sport that I know of that by rule exacts that. Okay? There's no other team sport that has. And But even there, just Google, it's very interesting to watch. Uh, even there, um, there is a gender division because only the men can guard the men and only the women can guard the women. If you as a man guard a woman, it's a free, free throw for the other team. So it's a, it's a transgression. So in fact, even within the game, there is in fact a gender division. Uh, you know, from what I could see, the women clearly are on par or, or I mean, I don't know the game well enough to say that, you know, she is clearly a liability and, you know, why is she there rather than, but what I found very interesting is that that's not how the debate happens. So in other words, it's a given that the, they're four women, okay? So the, 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 from what I could talk to, when I talked to the fans and I, none of them said, oh, uh, you know, why don't we, you know, kick her off and actually have a guy who would be much better than this, right? So it seems to me that the only way you could create real gender equality in team sports is by legislating this in some way, by, by you know, and the, my idea there was that you, you, you do this by a form of incentivizing the currently weaker or the currently lesser strong by you know, giving them, you know, making them shoot, you know, it's five points rather than three points to give it, give it an incentive to actually happen. But I, you know, I, think, I, I, I don't know whether this, uh, I have no idea how, um, I mean, I know that Korfball exists in uh, the, the International Korfball Association exists I think in 70 countries. You can Google it. I, I'm, I wouldn't be surprised if it even exists in Australia. Uh, it exists in the United States, but very, very minuscule. And the only place where this is popular is in Holland, where it is very popular, and in Flanders, which is the Dutch part of Belgium. Uh, but, and there's a league and they play each other and, and, um, so I, but I, 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 other than that, I just don't see how uh, you can, uh, you know, really uh, uh, create this on a, on a competitive equal level. I mean, not on a friendly mm. or not yeah. sort of, yeah. you know, uh, um, you know, the, the softball game before the all-star game, okay, where, you know, men and women play with each other. But in fact, really, uh, so the only one that comes to mind is called we have a sport um, that's quite popular in Australia, uh, touch football. And um, it started out as a, f a fun game, you know, where we just play when we were kids. And instead of getting tackled, you you just touch. Is it the American, is it the American touch football? You touch instead of tackle? Yeah, yeah. It's like you, the, it's, flag football. Yeah, yeah but they have, they have international games that are mixed. Mm. Yeah, so there's well, an I mean, there's Australian team that's, uh, you know, would be a mixed, yeah, there is a mixed yeah. team. Mm. Well, I actually, I will never forget that to my great embarrassment, I ended one of my sports lectures, I don't know, about eight years ago, by saying, you know, who's to say, I mean, all of these are real social constructs, okay? 
In other words, we still live in a sporty world that was created by British public school boys, more or less, okay? And it just is. And who is to say that this will persist in 2,400? I mean, I, no reason. And I said, you know, who, who, who's, I, you know, why would it not be possible that at some point in the big house, we would have 110,000 people watching the ridiculous game of Quidditch. Mm. And wait, wait. And then thunderous applause and saw, and we'll never forget this. I was so embarrassed. A guy in the background raises his hand and says, excuse me, Professor Markovitz, but have you watched the Michigan Quidditch team? And I go, <laughs> the what? And he said, yes, it's a club sport. And we're playing this Saturday. We're playing, um, I think, Yale in the Arboretum, please come see it. I said, you got it. And I, you know, I went to see it, they weren't flying, but it was fascinating. And one thing it was, is was in fact completely co-ed. Wow. So interestingly on the level of not the super, now I have no idea how far this goes, but apparently there has been a World Cup in Squidditch. It's very upper class. It's played in Central Park and all the right sort of, it's not by chance, Michigan, Harvard. It's the fancy American kind of upper class colleges. The Ivies all have Quidditch teams. Okay. Um, you know, the other thing that I find fascinating is, of course, esports. Yes. And, and that's, you know, uh, fascinating. I mean, you know, the LA Staples Center is packed, you know, a, a game between UCLA and Berkeley. Cal. I, I've wow. even started doing, I've been approached and even <laughs> done some work in that area on the performance of the, of the players. There you, you know, go. Yeah, because it's, a, it, it's enormous. It, it is a sport of the future. Um, yeah, it's huge. Yeah, it's huge. So there, by the way, I, I don't know enough about it, but it seems that it, in my estimation, that, that could be a sport where women could be totally men's equals. Mm. Okay. Um, now they may not want to, because I think it's a very, it's a very male world and whatever, but that's a different story. But clearly, uh, uh, the, even though, you know, anyway, so, uh, what I'm saying is that, uh, oh, by the way, eSport has become a big deal for the uh, European, some European football clubs. Yep. They all have, I mean, Manchester City, they all have their, their eSport contingent. And Andy, uh, a number of American colleges now give uh, full athletic scholarships for eSport teams. Okay. Harps, uh, why are you cringing at that? <laughs> I agree with that. I would deal with the doctor. Why are you? I mean, you, what, what's going on for you there? You, you know, you're, you, you always come across as this. Now, now you're screaming at the esport competitor. That's no, it. No. That's what you're doing. You're, you're. I, 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 well, first, first, maybe it's just the nomenclature, but I, 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 I've, I've not made the transition from um, lethargic activity being celebrated as a sport. Well, interesting that you might say that because the athletes... I'm happy to be educated. We'll call them e-sport athletes. I mean, there's a large amount, you know, endurance. 
you know, yeah. we think of endurance sport as, as, you know, distances and competing at distance, but endure and enduring things, it, these, these activities go for a long period of time. So cognitive fatigue is an enormous issue, which can be enhanced by physiological, um, you know, fitness as such, I suppose. So, so, that makes it a sport. so that makes it a sport. well, I'm saying that the preparation of these players um, or these people uh, definitely, under my uh, my view of the game, have to prepare themselves as as uh, any athlete would, with good sleep, good nutrition, being physically active. Um, you've got to look that. I know you're going to cringe here, but no, they're, but, they're, 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 but you're de- you're describing me as an accountant. <laughs> I sleep well. I've got to eat well. I've got to present. No, well. no, 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 no. Andy, no. I totally disagree. I, I would even go further. I think. I mean, having watched this because I started a project on esports and it got stuck and hasn't gone anywhere. But I, because I'm fascinated by this, and I was invited. I, I invited myself to various dorms and wanted to watch this and follow them. And I'm. I, I watched the, the Michigan Esport Club. Okay. And actually, no, it's especially in this case, uh, League of Legends and, uh, d- and the defense of the, uh, of the ancient Dota. Okay. So uh, don't ask me uh, details about it, but I know a bit. And I educated myself in this and, and I was the only, you know, they, they loved it because they never had a professor come to their Friday evening match. <laughs> okay. And I, I, I just sat there mesmerized. Now, what, is, what I found very interesting sociologically is that 98% were Asian. Um, Asian, 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 and Asian American. Okay, so clearly that's the culture. I know that South Korea, this is huge. Esport players are rock stars. But one thing, just to 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 confirm what what Craig is saying, is that this is physical dexterity. There's no question about it. In other words, you you have to be immensely attentive to the screen and you better be immensely speedy with your thumb and your hands because if you're not, the other guy will beat you. So clearly this is physical stuff. To me, as mu- clearly as much as, you know, what was it in the Olympics now, wall climbing. Absolutely. So e-sport to me is a sport. Now, again, will it ever replace my love of sports that I know? No. Will I now follow the e-sport leagues? No. But I, I, I'm, I'm fascinated by it. And I, I'm, I'm not surprised that millions are. And, you know, um, yeah. Because uh, absolutely, I, I agree with you, Professor, because Harps, uh, is a Grand Prix driver? Yes. Are they, are they yeah. an athlete? Yeah. Have you watched that? Have you watched that recently? I the last camp I was on, I was watching the you know because there's a there's a Dutch right a driver that's a that's a champion at the moment. So I was working with Dutch coaches and they were watching it. I thought I was watching esports. They had the the camera of the of the driver driving, and you know what he's doing? He's playing. He's playing an esport. That's what he's doing. Who, who is the driver? Yes, the driver. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, back me up here, Professor, please. Oh, totally. Totally. Yep. But it's if not, you look yeah, at no. machines, I mean, if you look at, uh, you know, uh, 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 Verstappen, who you mentioned. Uh, yes. The, guy, yes. Actually now, now beating uh, um, Hamilton. Hamilton. Who actually won whatever, eight titles or something. Uh, if you look at their, their, their 
bored. It's it's this high tech. Uh, 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 yeah, it looks like an esport console in many many ways. Obviously, driving at 180 miles an hour, so clearly the danger is higher. But it's an important fact, distinction. You know, Look, you're talking to isn't that just a slightly important? Yeah. No, you're talking to someone that's a motorsport person now. You know oh, that, Hans. I mean, uh, he rides a Vespa. Could you, no, but Andy, could you argue that the real athlete is the car? I mean, why mm. is? I mean, what makes a driver ipso facto an athlete? Uh, it's the endurance. It's the concentration. It's the hand-eye coordination. Obviously, so in my book, he is, but so is an esport guy. Just because, well, maybe, maybe it's a maybe it's a descending scale, but you know, the the driver in this case, whilst he he might look like he's on a, a Xbox console, is actually having to, as a matter of life and death, mm. process time, space, three dimensional things. I know screens, these esports are three dimensional, but. Anyway, look, I'm okay. not ran on the parade uh, because no, let me say, let no, me what, say what about this. no? Just I, I one, actually, one more, one more. Right, what? Right. A, I mean, you're a massive fan of this, and you're, you know, after your football career, I know it's you went down anything. this track to be a professional be in this area, and and darts. You know, is darts a yeah darts a is. sport? Yes, it is. Yeah. What? It just is. because you were New South Wales champion? No, it's not. <laughs> Are you? No, I wasn't. But, mate, one thing you'll learn about Dr. Craig, Professor Andy, is that it's 50% of what he says is true, 50% is not true. The, the challenge is to find which is the 50. Right? And this is clearly in the this is clearly in the not true. Let me say in closing about esports, of the three of us, I'm pretty confident in saying um, I am the only one who's actually commentated on an esports tournament. I've actually done that as a broadcaster really? with Fox. We, we, we did it because the esports are big in Australia, of course, probably per capita bigger here than anywhere because Australians, despite the mythology, do love sitting on their ass doing not much. Although in this description, they're, they're sitting on their ass being very athletic at the same time. Now, I was, I, I did make the point during that commentary that it is opposable thumbs which separates Homo sapiens from the rest of the animal kingdom and has elevated Homo sapiens into the preeminent biological force on the planet, to some extent, probably destructively so. Nevertheless, it's opposable thumbs which has done that. Thereby, extension, uh, therefore, by extension of that, Esports, elite esports people, by virtue of their magnificent opposable thumbs, are the highest form of Homo sapien that we've yet known. They are the ultimate evolution of our species, esports um, players and successful esports players, purely because of their opposable thumbs. And I can't compete with them on that basis. Therefore, I'm not clearly as evolved as them. So it is the ultimate demarker. Well, this could be your future, being the world-leading commentator of esports, which would be an enormous position. Yeah, it would be, and I'd be in an enormous state doing it. I, I, <laughs> look, and if it I, got you based in Michigan, you would be there I'd in do a heartbeat. It. Yeah, I'd yeah. do it. If so it got me we, to, I'd do we, it. We're going to have to censor all this stuff that you've just get me to the Quidditch Club, <laughs> Andy. I'll be there. I'll be the chairman of the Quidditch Club or whatever else. Oh no, you see, look, our vintage Craig and. 
we, we were we were at the start of video games, I guess. You know, Space Invaders came through about the time of our Atari, you know, Atari, all that sort of stuff. It never had, it never did anything for me. No. Never did anything for me. Games, arcades, playing Space Invaders. And, and so now we're in the, so, so my boy quite likes playing on the Xbox with his mates. Interestingly, the game is only part of it. It's how they socialize now. Yes. We haven't we haven't right. begun to see what this is going to mean. This the socializing reasons for kids right. on these consoles. It's almost completely transplanted the socializing role of outdoor traditional physical exercise. It's quite remarkable. Listen, guys, it's uh, past. <laughs> Midnight yeah. on the East Coast. <laughs> well, that's the introduction. Let's get into chapter one. <laughs> yeah, sure. Anyway, this has been. We we need to do another one I, because I I, I, uh, I loved every second of it. You whatever tomorrow <laughs> next day. Uh, you, 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 because I want to hear about the dogs because you know the uh, I've. I've got a huge, uh, huge belief in the relationship between dogs and humans, and how important it is for our, our, our life in general. Well, um, I can, you know, I, my book from property to, to family. It's all about dog rescue, actually, mm. um, and it's. Um, I argue that that's what makes us human, and. Uh, it's, look, back to my, and also sports, um, what I'm immensely proud of is that starting around the late 80s, I somehow succeeded in valorizing all my hobbies as academic disciplines. <laughs> <laughs> and my colleagues, my colleagues hate me for this. Really, they really do. That I've actually decided that I will look into why the United States never developed soccer. That became my rise there of soccer in America, which uh, was still my most successful article, 15 languages. And then later on, 15 years later, that became the book that Andy showed you. And, um, you know, and the same actually, I started. Um, being active in dog rescue, golden retrievers in particular, golden retriever rescue. And then um, by the, by around two, 2010 or so, I started to research this. And um, again, I know nothing about dogs other than having had dogs since 1985, constantly, and all of them rescue dogs. Um, but I'm not a zoologist. I was actually interested in the people who rescue mm. them. And um, there, by the way, the role of women is huge, huge. I mean, almost totally feminized. And, um, and it's that what really interested me. And, and by the way, this is, that led to my only award-winning book, which was from Property Family. Mm. Um, namely, why it is that thousands of mainly women um, do insanely taxing stuff for zero money. Mm. Driving to Kansas, picking them up, uh, organizing, uh, um, inoculate this, that. It's just it's a whole network of, of people who are doing this 
not for glory. They're not doing, and it's all a form of social networking and and their own pleasure to save these in, in indigent animals mm. from fighting rings and whatever. I mean, it's just uh, so that's that's what my work is about. It's not it's not really about dogs. It's about no about that it's human about, relationship in yeah, general. Yeah, yeah. No, no, yeah, it's amazing. I mean, it's just so that to me was. Uh, you know, it's how, you know, why does my upper class Viennese, uh, you know, highly cultured uh, uh, multilingual wife uh, have a, her only real hobby is to go and walk, uh, you know, abuse dogs at the pound. And, you know, it's, it's you know, it, it, she actually derives very little social capital from this. It's not mm -hmm. like you can say, uh, oh, I do this because I get on the museum board or because I'm, you know, it's just a form of 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 of, of um, pure pleasure, uh, which, by the way, to me is actually in a, some way also similar to sports and linkage to sports. Okay, so that's that's why that's my whole spiel on, on dogs. Uh, <laughs> other than, of course, I love them, and I could get Emma to come, but um, you know, she, she was in a different room. I, I I I didn't want her to to bark as much as uh, Andy's dog. I mean, I you <laughs> yes, so yes, we've had a we've had a few podcasts with yeah, Andy's yeah, dog. Yeah. So, so anyway, that, that's the story about dogs. <laughs> Thank I, you. I, thanks. You, thanks for sharing that. Oh, yeah. absolutely, absolutely. Um, so anyway, all right now, so we 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 better go before we do. Um, before we thank Andy, his memoir comes out any day now. And I'm um, going to encourage all seven of our listeners to spread the word. It'll be a fascinating read. It's called The Passport or, of, as Home, The Passport as Home, Comfort in Rootlessness. That's the title of Andy's memoir. Andre S. Markovitz. Google it. Go to your book provider, Amazon, Booktopia, whichever, um, because the read will be as engaging as the man in person as we've just enjoyed over the last couple of hours, which Craig's going to break down into two or three episodes. <laughs> Aren't you, Craig? Um, yes, I am. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> so, Andy, mate, uh, look, it's uh, it was a thrill. I've been so looking forward to seeing you. And now that with the power of Zoom, we can even do this casually, uh, just to catch up. Yes, no, I long. really, uh, I'm not, please, please, Craig, have me back for a particular issue. I don't know, there's maybe a major uh, football, it's college football game. Maybe miraculously, uh, Michigan will beat Ohio State. You have to have me back for that. Uh, it well, won't hope, springs but, it, hope springs it. Uh, okay. <laughs> but, but so whatever, uh, you know, World Cup qualifiers or anything so that uh, I can see the two of you and it would be just a real pleasure and real honor. I, it's I'm, been you, 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 whenever you want me, I'm there. Ah, uh, thank you, Andy. It's been a pleasure to meet you, and thank you so much. And thanks, yes. Harps, for organising this. It's been a great today. Well, really it, great. It was a great excuse to to catch up with Andy. You look well. Keep strong. <laughs> thanks for your time. We'll be in touch. Yes, and let's see each other earlier than from between the, the Zola Cafe Zola and today. That's it. <laughs> That's it. All right. Seriously. Good on you. I am coming. I am coming to Australia. I've already got the room ready. Don't worry about it. The, the, the West Wing is ready. <laughs> okay. See you later. Cheers, mate. Bye. 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 Thanks for listening and we hope you enjoyed this episode. Please contact us if you have any questions or feedback.